morning, brothers and sisters. So yes, we indeed are uh, uh, making an audible call. And uh, God already knew this. He, he had this all planned out. As a matter of fact, as the elders uh, and a number of us were praying, as this morning was developing, and of course praying for pastor, our pastors, our two pastors and their wives and kids, um, we were praying for the downloading and the uploading and all of that technical stuff. And uh, it began to be apparent that we would bring a message from God's word. And so we uh, trust that God's word will feed us. And then as we were singing our uh, wonderful worship songs, <laughs> I was going, yeah, God is with us and he's for us and nothing can stand against. And and uh, he is with us, Emmanuel. That, that is one of his names our great God. And then um, as we were singing about going through the valley and nothing can stand against us. And even though we go through the valley, we're prepared for Psalm 23. So if you do have a black Bible, which I have, it's on page 428 or in your phones, Psalm 23. And probably many of us actually have this memorized. I remember when I was a young Catholic uh, lad, uh, my Protestant neighbor would have me over to uh, spend the night every once in a while, and uh, back then, it was after Vatican II, it was acceptable for a young Catholic lad to go with his neighbor and fulfill my Sunday obligation by going to a Baptist church. So I thought that was actually pretty cool. And as a devout Catholic, I uh, took God up on that, or the Pope up on that, and uh, he had his little medallion, and it was Psalm 23, and I read it. I had never, as a young Catholic boy, ever read Psalm 23. So I read the first verse, and I thought, oh, I, you, you've lost me already. Uh, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And I'm thinking, I shall not want the Lord my shepherd? And so later, I began to understand what that meant. And our beloved... I don't want to call our sec church secretary, our, uh, our beloved uh, main pastor's office assistant, everything that goes on her desk magically disappears and gets done, Michelle. She, God bless her, and head of so many projects. Um, uh, she brought to us an opportunity a few years ago to go through God's word together before service in a Sunday school class. And it was Psalm 23. Uh, Jimmy Ring and a couple others. I think, Mike, you remember this. This was a wonderful, Robbie Harms was there. Pat Barmore was there. There was a number of us there. And as we went through Psalm 23, we realized, oh, it's so rich. There was so much about God and so much about me and so much about our dependence upon God in this wonderful psalm that I thought, you know, I'm going to memorize that. And I began to memorize it and then meditate and chew on it and meditate and chew on it. And, you know, this is nothing, uh, uh, not I, but Christ in me, as we just prayed. God is, is constantly saying, Dan, do you remember Psalm 23? And so as I memorized it, it began to be a like, wow, now I can actually kind of parse and dissect each little bit now that it's in me and I'm chewing on it. So let's dive in. Psalm 23, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. 
That's just amazing. Now, you know that King David is the second king, the most famous and the best king of all Israel, but he was the second king. And, of course, you know the story of the first king, and that didn't turn out too well. And he, the first king, Saul, actually hunted King David. And before that, uh, King David used to play music for King Saul. But before that, Samuel, who was afraid of King Saul, was told by God to go anoint David as the next king. The king after uh, 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 my own heart, said God. So Samuel ends up making up kind of a story that God told him to say, goes to Bethlehem and asks Jesse to show me your boys. And he gets all the way through the boys, and God tells Samuel, no, not yet. You know the story. Oh, yeah, there is one more little, yeah, yeah, little runny David, you know, who actually was a really brave lad, but he was just the baby of the family. Um, and there's some other hypotheses about why Jesse and his brothers didn't think about him. But, oh, yeah, go get him. He's out with the sheep. So, you know, the cool thing is, is that God is our shepherd. Jesus is our good shepherd. As a matter of fact, the Greek says he is the shepherd, the good one. There's a lot of shepherds out there. And in the Old Testament, in the book of uh, Ezekiel and Jeremiah, it talks about God giving us a good shepherd because there's a, there's a lot of bad shepherds. Well, God is the good shepherd, and he said, I want David, because he's got a shepherd's heart. And so here we are at the end of David's life, towards his latter years, and David is saying about the shepherd, he remembers being a shepherd, and he says, the Lord, Jehovah, Yahweh, is my shepherd, and is there anything I'm ever going to lack Will I ever be in want? Is there really anything I will ever be in want for? Think about over your life. A lot of you, like me, have had a lot of life. And we've been through some tough times. Sometimes the car would break, or the kids would need new shoes, or you know, the, uh, the roof would leak, or whatever. And now we fast forward, almost 70, and realizing God never kicked me to the curb. Never. He has always been faithful. For 67 years, he's been faithful to me. And you're probably thinking, yeah, how about cancer and surgery and illness and death and all of these things, all these things we've suffered? Yeah, God has taken care of me. When I think about it, God has taken care of me. And this is just the beginning, brothers and sisters, just the beginning. I shall not want. There's nothing I will ever want. Any good thing my shepherd will give me. What does he do? Verse 2, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. And not only that, he leads me beside the still waters. Verse 3, he actually restores my soul. So when we think about that metaphorically, symbolically, because that's what David's doing too. He remembers leading his little sheep beside uh, the still waters and making him lie down in the green pastures. I mean, what better would a sheep want? There are times when God has to come into our lives and say, it's okay. I brought you to, I brought you to the green grass. Just lay down and have peace. And that water, it's, you don't have to worry about it. It's not those rapids that are going to you know, carry you away. They're still waters. They're very still waters. It's a green pasture. I'm going to take care of you. 
And sometimes life just seems it's like, oh my goodness, there's fires in California. And, and it just seems like the torrent of life is passing me by and I think I'm going to drown. And God says, no, I'm your shepherd. You're my sheep. There's green grass for you. There is still waters. Chill. Chill. Rest. Be still and know that I am God, he says to us. Jesus said, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you, but my peace I give to you. Verse 3, he restores my soul. In the Greek, the word soul, half the time is not only soul, it's life. You know, what will it profit a man if he gives his whole life? That, that's the same word where we get our word psyche from. So he, he restores my inner soul, but he actually gives me a life. He gives me a life. It's kind of like um, the word um, life is like, uh, this is your life, Nick Maida. You know, there was a show that did that. This is your life. That's the idea of life there. It's like your lifetime and everything in it. It says here in verse 3 that God restores my soul. Oh, wow. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Sometimes, you know, we get busy and we're doing a lot of things, and then if you're like me, the Holy Spirit will say something like, are you tired, you know, um, are you looking for a little downtime? And then the phone rings and some catastrophe has happened to some other person and you're called into action and you think, oh Lord, I have nothing left. Well, it is not I, but Christ in me here. And you go out and you're doing something. You think, oh God, I'm just so tired, but I'm going to do this for you. And he says, I'm leading you in my path. My path is the righteous path but, you know, after all these things, you may be tired, sure, uh, just keep going. But, you know, it's not you. You're not really, you know, it's not about you being such a great, you know, deacon or elder or mopper or whatever you happen to be doing. It's not about doing such a great job for yourself. It's for my name's sake. So you are eldering, you are pastoring, you are mopping, you are doing whatever you're doing um, for my name's sake. For my name's sake. There's so many ways of taking this apart. We'll keep going. Four. Verse four. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. That means bad stuff. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Here, brothers and sisters, we start from where a sheep would be following his shepherd, maybe up through a, a valley uh, with the mountain passes, and maybe in the summertime a, a black cloud will go over, and there will be lightning, and the sheep will be real scared, and there will be some you know, raindrops, maybe hail, if you've ever been up on top of the Sierras in the summertime, and some hail coming down. And these sheep are just like, you know, oh, man, it's like bad over there, it's bad over there. This, is, this valley is really bad. And then we look ahead, and we see Jesus, our shepherd. And he's got his rod and his staff, rod and staff, 
and he's leading on ahead, and the sheep are like, okay, we're following, we're following this guy. We're following this shepherd. This is the good one. We're going to follow him because nothing bad is going to happen. And when we think nothing bad is going to happen, this is not a health and wealth gospel. What this means is for that home church leader in Iran and his wife who get raided and taken to jail, and they're going to be tortured, maybe die. And the jailer is walking down the corridor with cells on both sides and various prisoners shouting various things. And this could happen someday in our country. It hasn't yet. But in many countries, whether it's North Korea or China or uh, 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 Saudi Arabia or uh, any of the Middle Eastern countries, really, Pakistan, any of those countries, as, as I'm walking down through the corridor and my guard is opening my cell, I have to understand that I am not alone. That Jesus is actually my shepherd leading me down that corridor. And when I step into that cell, he's there with me. And what do I have to fear? What do I really have to fear? It tells me right here. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, the rod and the staff were tools that David would have known really, really well. Um, if you remember a, a show that was on a few years ago, they couldn't do it during COVID. It was called The Amazing Race. It was all around the world. It was a really cool show, a little bit too stressful for me because it was like, hurry, hurry, hurry. And I kind of wanted to chill. If I'm ever going to watch TV, I don't want to be anxious for an hour while I'm watching TV. But um, a lot of people, especially kind of you know, like easygoing people, they kind of like that show. Uh, I was already too tense. So. Um, but as I kind of got used to watching it with Judy, um, <laughs> they, they would go to all these different countries, and I began to realize season after season after season, you know what countries they were going to? Around the world, if they had a really difficult country to go to, like in North Africa or the Middle East, they would go to the Christian communities in Africa. And if you could listen to them describe the people that they were with, they were all a bunch of Christians and kind of outcasts, but they were free enough to let ABC or CBS into their community to film their community and come up with these little tasks to do. Well, in one North African country, um, their job was to use the, the, the rod of the rod and the staff. And you think, oh, okay, no, it's just like a staff, and then you're kind of like um, correct with one end and kind of have the hook on the other, you know, sort of thing. No, the, the rod was this club. And doggone if those shepherds couldn't hit a wolf or a bear or whatever it is, you know, 50 yards away or with that club. They were really good at it. And it was shaped just kind of like a, a Flintstone club, you know, kind of like this. And you just whoop that thing and you just fling it like that and then bonk, you know. 
And I suppose if you had a really unruly sheep, you know, you could hit him in the rear end. But if it was a bear or, uh, you know, a mountain lion or something like that, you try to, you know, hit it on the head. So um, they had all the American contestants, you know, throwing this, this rod. And as I was reading the book that uh, Michelle had brought to us on Psalm 23, excellent book, I began to realize that the Lord really will fight my battles for me. The scriptures say that the, uh, the anger and vengeance of man will not accomplish the righteousness of God. And how many times do I in my self-righteous, my indignation think, get him, God, get him, you know, or, uh, you know, yeah, that's what you deserve. Oh, my goodness, if I got what I deserved, whew, I'd be in trouble. So I'm just thinking that even though I may be tortured for my faith in this prison cell, God will fight for me. And I don't have to be afraid. As Richard Wormbrand did, he said, every day I had a five-minute discipline. And they beat him for like 14 years. He was in pretty sad shape. He actually appeared before the United States Congress to show his scars and his broken feet and everything like that. But he says, I'll do something five minutes every day. I'm going to get up and dance. Five minutes every day. I'm going to dance before the Lord because the Lord is here with me. And my strength is the joy of the Lord. So, I mean, how much will the rod and staff of Jesus comfort me? Well, it says in verse 5, he prepares a table in front of me, in front of my enemies. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. So this is pretty, this is, it kind of reminds me of Joseph, you know, when the brothers came to uh, Joseph and says, oh, you know, we are so sorry for what we did. And Joseph said, I mean, how mature could you be? And Joseph says to his brothers, well, wh what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Because, you know, if you guys wouldn't have sold me into slavery and caused all of this chaos in my life for the last 20 years, your whole families wouldn't be saved by me, let alone the entire nation of Egypt. So God saved sinners and righteous people after folks had sinned and sold Joseph into slavery. And it says right here that God will prepare a table in front of me right when my enemies are surrounding me. How much does God love me? Well, he anoints my head with oil. My cup runs over. It overflows. So it isn't even as if God is saying, yeah, yeah, I'll get you through. You're, you're barely going to make it through this. God is saying, no, the truth is, is that I am totally doing something in your life that you will later look back on and say, oh, this was an incredible blessing. I mean, how could that be? We think of Job and we think of uh, his argument and his friend's argument where they said, oh, you're obviously uh, unrighteous because you're getting punished. And Job says, you know, you're right that 
you know, um, unrighteous people do get punished, and righteous people should be blessed by God. But they didn't really understand, and Job kind of came to believe at the end of the book that something's going on here in my trouble, but it's not my unrighteousness. God is allowing difficulty for a reason. And that's something that his friends didn't understand. They figured if you're suffering, you're unrighteous, you sinned, something's going bad. And Job's like, you know, could I like stand before God and plead my case? <laughs> I'm not sure if any of us ever really want to stand before God and plead our case. Well, as we sang, our one and only plea is Jesus. So that's it, right? God does let good people go through trouble. Amen? Yeah, amen. Yeah, yeah. Preaching to the choir here. So he anoints my head with oil. He treats me so special. He's pouring oil on my head. And my cup, it's just flowing over. I can't fit anything more in there. Kind of like, uh, was it uh, um, uh, uh, Ruth, uh, when uh, she... Uh, um, uh, held out her, her uh, apron when she was gleaning, and she had been gleaning already, and, uh, and then they dumped more on top of it to where she couldn't even hardly even carry it home to, uh, to Naomi. Mm. <laughs> Our cup runneth over. And then we finish up here in verse 6. Surely the goodness, truly, without a doubt, the goodness and the mercy of God shall follow me all the days of my life. Oh, God's goodness. When we think about that, I remember, was it, uh, was it uh, uh, Moses that asked uh, to see God? And, and God said something like, I'm going to make my goodness pass in front of you. And I'm thinking, wow, what is it about the goodness of God? I mean, if we could have a visit from God... Wouldn't we pray, show us your goodness? I mean, we pray a lot, show us your glory, and we say, show us your presence. And yet, when you think about it in our lives, God is so good. Oh, he is so good. At one point, there was a guy come running up to Jesus. It's another sermon, and he says, oh, oh, good teacher, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus said, there's no one good, only God. God is goodness, and his mercy, oh my goodness, I ain't going to receive what I deserve. That's why Dave Ramsey says, when people say, how you doing, Dave? He says, oh, better than I deserve. That's the truth. That's every Christian can say that. We're doing awesome because it's better than we deserve. And surely his goodness and his mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives, and where will we abide? Where will we dwell? Where will we remain? Where will we live? In the house of the Lord forever. And the word house here, it's like, it's not like a house with a roof and door and uh, it's kind of like, oh, you know, for those of you that are in science fiction and maybe you're into, you know, Klingons or something like that, when they, the house of so-and-so and the house of so-and-so, yeah, that's what it is. It's the house means like 
the generations to follow or the ancestors or as Jed likes to call it when he corrects me, which he does all the time, the household. We are the household of God. And we will remain, dwell, we will remain, we will live, we will abide in Christ being, as St. Paul said, built up into a holy temple as living stones. We will live there and abide there and be there and remain there forever. Oh, to be in the house of the Lord. And we are there now. Let's pray. Oh, our good and merciful Heavenly Father, you are our shepherd. And you have sent your Son, our Lord Jesus, to be the good shepherd for his church, for your temple, for your house, for your body, for his body, for his bride. You have sent him to purchase us as a possession for him forever. Our desire is to remain in you, to abide in you. Keep us connected to Christ always, connected to each other. Now, what we've learned here this morning, just, just keep it, Lord, in our, in our hearts this week as we meditate upon your word. For your word is our food. For as your, uh, your son, our Lord Jesus said, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. In Jesus' name, our Lord, your Son, we pray. Amen.